Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you. Good luck. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Ring, ring, ring. <laughs> Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host, Michael Motorola Rothman, and ready to answer the call. No, not from Paul Feig's Ghostbusters, but from Mr. Harrigan's phone on Wednesday, which is today when we're recording. Netflix dropped the latest Stephen King movie, the second of this year since Dobbs Lot dissipated from Warner Brothers' schedule, and it comes from director John Lee Hancock, director of films like Saving Mr. Banks, starring Thomas World War II Hanks, the founder, starring Michael Beetlejuice, Batman, Birdman, Keaton, and our favorite bit that has yet to be buried six feet under like Harrigan, The Highwayman. But how does he fare? In King's Dominion. That's for us to sort out on today's episode. And we even have a special interview with the film star. Not Donald Sutherland, but Jaden Martell, who we all remember as Bill Dembro from It and It Chapter 2 and Rest Assured. Uh, Jaden and I talk a little bit about that film, those films, I should say, and more. So uh, stick around for that. But right now, it is time to introduce our panel because much to Mr. Harrigan's chagrin, I'm not alone here in the Harlow Cemetery. Joining me at the old Grouch's grave are two losers ready to stop texting and ready to start talking. <laughs> Randall, say hello and tell us the first time you got an iPhone. <laughs> the laziest so prompt. <laughs> it's so funny you said that because I'm literally texting at this moment, my wife, um, because I'm like, I'm like, I'm recording. So be quiet when you come in. Um, well, so the power of the iPhone allows you to do this. So when you said stop texting, I thought you were like really reprimanding me. I was <laughs> oh. like, how did he know? I thought I was being <laughs> quiet about it. Uh, hey, it's Rock and Razor Colburn. And, oh, um, was that your and, first cell phone? <laughs> no, my I was way. I've always been way behind on phones. Um, like I didn't get. Like I, I actually lost a job. Like I, I lost a job once that I was supposed to get because my phone was so shitty. Um, the battery, like this was like an old, this is way, way, way pre-smartphones, like early 2000s. Yeah. The battery that was connected to the back of it wouldn't latch properly. So it would fall out all the time. <laughs> and like my voicemail was broken or something. And I literally like this one guy, like, like I was so desperate for a job this one summer. And then like a year later, I saw this guy and he's like, and I was like, oh yeah, I wish I, you know, thanks, thanks for not hiring me, asshole, you know? And then he was like. <laughs> He's like, I literally called you and offered you the job. And this is like, you know, before uh, people would like email about this shit. You know what I mean? Uh, so anyways, I didn't get an iPhone until like, God, like 2011, 2012. Oh, like wow. I, 
Yeah, I always had just a flip phone until then. Um, I was broke. Like, I couldn't yeah. afford one. And and my friends all had them, and I called them internet phones, and I thought I was such a clever old man. Um, <laughs> and then now, of course, I fucking love it. So I'm, I'm, as, I'm like Mr. Harrigan. I'm as addicted as I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, were you doing As much as stocks? I scream about how it's literally destroyed, like, it's it's completely fried all of our fucking brains. Like, oh, we, absolutely. We all, like, we all have ADHD now, all mm-hmm. of us, literally yeah. all of us, and it is because of that. Uh, but Oh, wait whatever. a second. I got oh, I got to go to my iPhone. I need, yeah, to, hold I on. need to play with it. <laughs> I, no, you're right. You're completely right. And I think, you know, we're definitely going to be talking about the, uh, the, the, the techno um, obsession. Yeah, that's where I think the done. most interesting stuff in this movie is, 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 the, is kind of what, and it's the same stuff King was saying. I mean, this is a pretty, you know, uh, page to screen adaptation. Pretty oh, faithful, easily. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, I'm, I'm rambling. Yeah. Well, no, it's fine. It's good to ramble because, uh, the, you know, that's what we do on iPhones and that's what we do here on this part of the, this podcast, the losers club podcast. And it wouldn't be the losers club if we didn't have at least two more losers on this episode, but we've got three and the third lucky number three coming down from Nashville. Do they allow uh, iPhones down there? And if so, what's your origin with them, Jen? They do allow uh, iPhones down here, um, but the content's all messed up. Uh, this is Jen, 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 Jen uh, 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 Adam. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't remember the first time I got an iPhone, but I do remember the first time I destroyed my iPhone. Oh. Um, we down here we get like maybe one or two snows a year, so it like destroys everybody's ability to function. And so my car was in the our garage for like 10 days and the battery died. And it was an old used Prius. And apparently Priuses have a secret engine in the back. So when you jump them, you have to like dismantle a section of the back. So we were trying to figure out how to do this and looking on YouTube on my iPhone. And once we found it, we put it on top of the roof and just completely forgot about it. So uh, later, we were like, where's my phone? And I hiked back down Old Hickory Boulevard and found it all smashed to shit in oh, the no. road. So yeah, we had to get You're, a new one that day. So you were looking up YouTube tutorials. What are you, Charlie from Fairytale? Uh, I was yeah. Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You go, you're going to you're going to go see uh, Mr. Bowditch instead of Mr. Harrigan. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I mean the the DNA between those two stories. Is oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, just watching mm. it today, I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's so similar. Um, I know. I'll, I should say rewatching it. I, I you know I'm, I think I'm the first person. Um, I, I beat everyone. I got I got no, to watch I, it twice. I watched it twice as well because I okay. re- I reviewed it. So this is true. This is true. Once. Well, look, you're not in the the twice Harrigans club. <laughs> <laughs> a very sad no jacket club. for we me. We are the only ones, though. Me, and I'm you. pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, unless we're talking about John Lee Hancock, which we'll talk about soon. Uh, I'm sure he's seen it more than once. Um, maybe not, though. Uh, as for me, iPhones. Jesus, I don't remember the first time I got an iPhone. I certainly remember the first time I saw an iPhone. It was just this uh, this kid I grew up with, Brennan. Uh, Brennan Dunn, he was uh, always ahead of the curve, uh, kind of like the Joker. And uh, he managed to get an iPhone like early, early on. And I remember looking at it and being like, what the fuck is this? And not knowing that, as Randall mentioned before, that it was going to take over the world and um, be my best friend. Um, because I, I, I just, it's my, my, I think we all have relationships with our phones and that's something we'll get digress in. But I will, I do have a fun story about when it, my first, when I broke my first iPhone and it was very fitting because it was at the screening for Black Hat, which if you know that movie, is all about you know, being as technologically advanced as possible. And it's about a hacker 
played by Chris Hemsworth, because when I think of hackers, I think of two things, Johnny Lee Miller and, and Chris Hemsworth. Um, but I remember getting out, getting, <laughs> we were getting set for the movie. I was sitting with Justin and I went to go reach for something on the ground and my phone broke and smashed and I, it just felt so fitting. It was like, we just mm. finished watching this movie that's literally about hacking and literally about just everyone being on their phones. And then for me to shatter my phone, just by it falling out of my pocket, just it did felt your, right. Uh, did the screen like turn black after you broke it? It did, and there was a uh, yeah. So it was a, like a bit of a black phone situation. A little. It was a little black bit, hat you know? come out. Hashtag of it, Ethan then... Hawk. Yeah, well, it was it was a little scary too because I you know I had to go home with not being able to text all my friends. So uh, you know, how that's, did that's you the get there? How did you survive? I you know I really don't know, and I don't know how I <laughs> map I, I survived without it. Map. Oh God, <laughs> printing printed out the my directions maps. out at the theater. <laughs> yeah, I stopped at like an office depot that was nearby, and I said, uh, "Excuse me, sir, uh, this is my address. Uh, can you please print out a map quest for me?" <laughs> and he did. Um, well, anyway, look. If you couldn't tell, we've got a movie to discuss. So uh, let's discuss Hancock. Let's discuss Blumhouse and all of the brilliant minds behind this production in a little <laughs> piano <laughs> in a little place we call the Dairy Public Library. Mike Hammond, if you see. Excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. Mike Hanlon said I had to go. All right. Well, in the Dairy Public Library, as always, we discuss the production and crew of this film. So uh, let me do a rundown. As I mentioned before, and I think at this point I've mentioned his name at least five times, this film, Mr. Harrigan's Phone, was directed and written by John Lee Hancock. Uh, the cinematography was by John Lee Hancock's right-hand man, John Schwartzman. Not released, not, no relation, I don't believe, to Jason Schwartzman. But uh, John Schwartzman, he has also worked heavily with Paul Feig, who I joked about before. Uh, but uh, he's actually got a pretty eclectic career. He's got an Oscar nomination for Seabiscuit, uh, starring uh, my favorite Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire. Uh, and he also worked on uh, not only Colin Trevorrow's god-awful Jurassic World movies, but also The Book of Henry. Um, which starring Jade Martell. Starring Jade Martell. And also Naomi Watts of uh, I Heart Huckabee's fame. Uh, and he also has some King's Dominion because uh, he worked alongside Rob Reiner. And not for Stand By Me or Misery, but for The Bucket List, which stars other King's Dominion veterans, Morgan Freeman <laughs> and Jack Nicholson. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the true highlight of John Schwartzman's career, which is Airheads, starring the whale oh, star, shit. Brendan Fraser. So, uh, and I got to say, I love Airheads. You're a big Airheads fan, right, Randall? Huge Airhead. Love it. How about you, Jen? You like Airheads? In I love air. Airheads, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite Brendan Fraser movie, I think. Yeah, you know, it, it might be mine too, although I do, I am kind of partial to school ties, although he, they, they commit the cardinal sin by, um, I don't know, casting two people that are uh, clearly not Jewish. Brendan yeah. Fraser and um, I believe, oh God, what's the, 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 the guy's, his father. Chris O'Donnell? That. No, not Chris O'Donnell. Uh, that, would, that would be funny though if he was serious, <laughs> uh, because yeah. he couldn't be further from the truth than that one. Um, I'm going to forget his name, but Ed Lauder, that's his name. Oh, the great Ed Lauder. You look at Ed Lauder and you're like- Golden Years. That is true. He's from Golden Years. And you look at him and you, if you think um, Jewish, um, 
you're crazy. So we well, played anyway. Rabbi Rabbi Heisenberg or whatever in um, <laughs> Golden Years. I'm kidding. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's just sitting there the whole time, just being like, "Oh, uh, where's all? The, where, where's this shop at these days?" Anyway, um, so music was by Guillermo del Toro's go-to composer Javier Navarrete, who we'll talk about a little bit in, in soon. And then, like Firestarter this year, this is a Blumhouse production, and we're gonna get to them soon. And um, isn't that weird? Firestarter 2022. It happened. That happened. It feels like a million years ago. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I, I literally pulled from the old script for Firestarter 2022. And I just oh, yeah. looked at some of the notes and I was like, wow, we really did that episode this year, six months ago. So how about that? Yeah. Um, the runtime. You know? <laughs> yeah. 106 <laughs> minutes. Do we think this movie is too long or too short? Quick. Too long. Re- too long. Yeah. A little too long. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, well, guess what? The history of this is not too long, so uh, there's not much history to discuss. I mean, <laughs> If It Bleeds, it arrived in April 2020, right at the peak of the pandemic. We have two episodes dedicated to the collection in this main feed. Check them out. Uh, and then Netflix acquired the film rights to Mr. Harrigan's phone three months later that July. And by that point, they had already announced that Blumhouse Productions would produce alongside Ryan Murphy with Hancock directing. And then a year later, roughly October 2021, Donald Sutherland, Jade Martell, Kirby Howell, Baptiste, and Joe Tippett joined the cast. And the production went down in Connecticut, not in Atlanta, on October yeah, 20th. I know. That's pretty great. I, I got to say, kudos to them for going beyond you know, this, the city of Atlanta. No shade to Atlanta. I like Atlanta. It's a good place. But they film everywhere there. It doesn't so, look like New England. It doesn't no. look like New England either. Although it does look like Indiana because uh, my boys in Stranger Things, the Duffer Brothers, uh, they do a pretty good job of making it look like Indiana. Anyway. October 20th, 2021, it started production. It wrapped December 22nd, 2021. That is pretty efficient. That's why we are talking about this movie today. So let's talk about John Lee Hancock. I'll be honest, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I actually like the founder. I thought Saving Mr. Banks was eh, okay. I think like I, I think most of his movies I've seen are, I'll tag with the same adjective I'll tag here, prescriptive. I think it's nothing too flashy gets the job done and that's what i'd say about mr harrigan's phone uh what are there some takeaways from his direction here with this film um are there any highlights he's very competent i mean that's the thing is i've seen a handful of his movies the founder is is actually one i feel like that could have been such a better movie if it wasn't directed by hancock but that's not to say he's a bad filmmaker. Like I've I've seen like a handful of his movies, including The Highwaymen. I uh, went to the uh, South by Southwest after party, which you guys have discussed on a previous episode. And um, yeah, I uh, I remember thinking it was fine, which is kind of how I feel about all of his movies. And so I can't say that I was particularly excited that he was adapting King. Um, and I remember being confused at the time because you see Jason Blum's name, Blumhouse. You see Ryan Murphy, who, you know, Ryan Murphy is such a weird producer on this because mm-hmm. he's such a throw everything at the wall, melodramatic kind of creator. And this is so not that the story or or Hancock's movies at all. And I'm just curious. I, I would love, I am genuinely curious, like what brought Hancock to this material. And the thing is, I do think it has something to do with the coming of age aspects of it. Like, I mean, I ne- like, it's so weird. It's marketed as a horror movie. And we're going to talk know. more about that later, I'm sure. But like, that's the thing was, I was always like, well, the story's not that scary. 
John Lee Hancock does not direct horror. The clothes, he does some crime movies. Like like him and Costner go way back. Like him and mm. like Costner's been in a bunch of his movies because Hancock wrote a bunch of stuff and he wrote like a perfect what was that perfect day a or perfect whatever world. Perfect Which is world. actually not bad. Like yeah, I, I it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, and uh, like him and Co- Costner's been in like a handful of his movies and um uh you know hey give him ten more years he might have been a good Mister Harrigan but um <laughs> but you know I don't know like I think that I never I was like well, I guess this probably won't be scary. And mm. then the trailer promised that it would be scary. And then it wasn't scary. And it's not only not scary, it's profoundly disinterested in being scary. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I and I think that it's a confident film in a lot of ways in terms of, I think Hancock knows what he wants to say. I think he knew how to shoot it. I think he's reverent to the material. He's, he's good with his actors, but it's not exciting, which is true for, I think, most of his movies. Yeah, Jen, what do you what do you make of uh, the direction, and especially even just kind of the distancing from horror? Well, I don't really know too much about um, John Hancock. I have seen The Blind Side, and um, I'm not going to say anything about that movie right now. Yeah, um, it's not good. It's, can't say anything nice about it. Um, but what I do really like about this movie is, I think. I think competent is a great word for it. It just feels like like it is solidly made. I love the fall atmosphere and I love how kind of languid it is. You know, it just kind of feels like drifting through an autumn season. And yeah. I really like that, but like we were like you were saying, it's not that exciting. You know, mm-hmm. I this would be a great like September background watch for me and I could see myself putting this on over and over again when I've got stuff I need to do, but there's nothing that really draws me in, you know? You, you know what this reminded me of? You know, dial the clock back to December when we talked about Hearts in Atlantis and we were like, oh, they don't really don't make movies like this anymore. It's like, well, mm. they kind of hear they do, you know? I, I will say 100% that is, was a bonus for me is that I liked how it was a drama, but the thing was it wasn't marketed as this. You know, know what I mean? it yeah. wasn't, It's like, no. and- and I think that it's 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 almost sometimes hamstrung by the horror. Uh, it's it's a drama. This is a coming of age drama. Um, and but the thing is, it doesn't have a lot to hang its hat on. Um, the premise is pretty thin, and then it has to sort of do these jump scare moments that don't quite work. And mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, it's it's such a strange little movie. So I appreciate that. I agree. I wrote languid too, Jen. That's a phrase that I wrote down. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I really kind of appreciate the the sort of, you know, unhurried aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I still think it's too long, yeah. but that's only because I don't think there's quite enough to fill out the runtime. Mm-hmm. I like that he takes his time, but it's kind of like stretching a piece of gum so much that um that like uh, it loses its you know solidity and you start to see all the holes in it you know because you stretch it too thin that's kind of like how i see this is that this is a story that doesn't demand like what 110 minutes or something yeah, like yeah. i feel like it 90 maybe it could have been better but you know yeah i th- I think if it if they chisel it down to 90 and i think might as well just talk about the fucking horror aspect of it you know i i think that there is a horror movie here i think mm-hmm. they they certainly lean away from it and i think that the reason why it's perhaps, you know, it eschews a lot of the horror elements is because it certainly sinks its teeth into the actual source material. I mean, you want to talk about a dedicated adaptation. This is a very dedicated adaptation. I mean, this is, yeah. it's probably why King really liked it 
you know, mm-hmm. based on his tweet. And I wouldn't, it's, I don't it's think his that's story, man. It's his yeah. story through and through. Yeah. And I, you know, there's one aspect of it, you know, that you, I think really what you have to center it on is, you know, what's going on from, you know, beyond the grave. And now a lot of it could be that it's, you know, implied or inferred and stuff. But I think that there's a part of me reading the story, you, you know, you, you hear about these in- incidents that happen. And Craig connects him to, you know, his pleas to Mr. Harrigan with the phone. And there's a part of you that gets to dream all that stuff up. And I wonder, you know, if you chiseled this down in 90 minutes and you show those sequences and you lean in on the horror. And I have some ideas later on, especially as we get to casting. Mm -hmm. Is this a better movie or does it absolutely fracture the sort of tone that you have? So is it kind of like a catch 22? Like if you lean too much into the horror, do you lose what makes it sort of, I don't know, kind of feel cohesive in a way? Because this does feel like a cohesive film. It just doesn't feel as interesting as it could be. And I think Mm -hmm. that if you lean a little bit more into the horror, it maybe could dazzle a little bit more. But I also worry that you lose something because here's the thing. The minute you lead into the horror and you lean into the idea that Harrigan is this, you know, force from beyond the grave, it kind of derails any of the relationship that you have between Craig and, and Harrigan. And I and I think that's kind of the, the the delicate balance that King, you know, weaves in with the book because he leaves so much of it into up to your imagination. But on screen, you know, you, you can't just leave everything to your imagination because, I mean, with here, it's just very like, oh, okay, we get the voiceover, we get some of the sort of the, you know, the music, which is doing a lot of the heavy lifting to bring some of the tension into the air. And I just wonder, what do you think? Do you think if we did see some of these incidences happen, it would, and we made it more of a horror movie, would we be talking about it differently? What do you, what do you think, Randall? Yeah. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's like it needs something. It needs spark. It needs like that's what it doesn't have. It doesn't have a lot of set pieces like only like two things happen. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. It's like or I guess three. It's like, you know, Mr. Harrigan dies. uh, The situation with the bully and then the situation with the drunk driver. Mm -hmm. Those are the three things that happen. Nothing else really happens in this. And I think that's sort of the problem. And but, you know, the biggest problem and I think is that. And this is, uh, I think, I'm going to use the word competent a lot because I think that's a good word for this. I think Jaden Jaden is competent. I think he's a very good young actor. I think Donald Sutherland is obviously Donald Sutherland. But I never saw the connection between them, really, except for the one scene when they were setting up his phone and they were allowed Mm -hmm. to be a little playful together. Otherwise, the sort of funereal kind of tone, the kind of, you know, the, the... which is matched so well by the score, which I think is really quite lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It doesn't, like, it, you're right, that has to do a lot of heavy lifting. The relationship is never quite there, so I don't, I never quite got on board with his obsession. Not obsession, but his, I, I understand his fascination to some degree with Mr. Harrigan, but it's like, I don't see, I see his fascination from an, like, uh, like, like an ideological standpoint, yeah. but not from a personal, I don't feel like they care about each other that much. Like when and, he says, yeah. Oh, I'm here by my own admission. You don't buy it. Yeah. You know, it's like Jaden does a nice job with that little monologue about the smell of the books and everything. Like the, it's memorable, but I still don't really believe it. And, um, and J- and, you know, like a lot, I think a lot of young King characters in these latter days, he, you know, he's uh, Jaden's character is like a little old man in a, in a teen's body. I mean, that's yeah. just kind of how King writes 
youth these days, which isn't bad. It's just, you know, it's, um, it is what it is. But so I don't know. I mean, yeah, more stuff needs to happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think horror would have been a great, that's the thing is I think a lot of the themes are already baked in, but I think that it's, um, it still could have maintained a languid pace if it just maybe hit those horror moments a little harder. Yeah. Like, you know, you texted me, Mike, about like when Kenny dies, we never see him die. Like no. we just see his body and you're like, we should have seen it. And it's like, yeah, yeah we should have seen it. We should have seen at least just like, uh, I mean, I, I will say this though. The only reason that maybe we shouldn't have seen it is because I think, um, I think, Hancock is embracing ambiguity a lot more than King did. And we can talk more about that in a minute. But I think that Hancock really wants, doesn't want this to be suit. It's like almost like Kubrick and the shining. If you think about it that way, where it's like, like they really want there to be this suggestion that it is, none of it is supernatural. Mm. And I think that, um, uh, Hancock really leans into that here, perhaps to the detriment of the story. And, and also, like, what's the end game of that ambiguity? Like, does it really like it? Does it serve like any the arc for Craig at all? Like, I, I, just I think don't... so. I do, and I have I think I actually have a lot of thoughts about that that I think are good. It still doesn't make it a great movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's right. like it's not cinematic, right? Like, well, extrapolate on that. I, like, I, I, I'm interested to hear your take on that because I like because yeah. for me, it's like I. I could see it in some in some respect in terms of it adding some weight into his own coming of age and his arc, but and especially with the idea that like phones demystify the world and whatnot. But mm. I don't know what, what what's your take on this? Like, what, what yeah, do you mean? I mean, demystifying the world is a good way to put it. Uh, I think, and I thought about this a lot because I was like. I was like, what is that purpose of that ambiguity? And a lot of it comes down to that scene where he talks to the preacher the the priest and the priest says have you and i don't remember if this is in the story or not jen maybe you remember you have a better memory than me about this stuff but it's like he basically says i think it's time that you examine your relationship to your phone mm-hmm. and that to me is very much like hancock's very heavy-handed filmmaker um mm-hmm. i mean oh, yeah like highwayman is the most like i i don't think it's a bad movie but it's it's a it, that's a real like old man yells at cloud movie it's like <laughs> actually bonnie and clyde were bad you know and mm. we shouldn't celebrate them like it's very much that kind of movie and this is very much like hey phones are bad well but, i was gonna say this is a very old man yell at cloud also i will say yeah. credit to him though for showing that even though harrigan gets the big monologue about how these phones are going to destroy the world and i feel like that is taken directly from king's book which it tracks. is it is yeah, yeah. but Harrigan is also obsessed with this phone. Like he's mm-hmm. also looking at it while Craig is reading to him. So I, I give him credit for that because he's mm-hmm. not acting like anybody is above this. It's really about yeah. how this has consumed our entire being. And like, I think one of the last lines is like, we're wedded to our phones. And I think that's a bad marriage. And that's very true. And this is very much, I think like a boomer sort of like reckoning with the idea of how phones are shaping uh, people's minds and the way we engage with the world, uh, especially because they spent most of their lives not having them. And they're so taken with them. Like when I say they, I mean like King, Hancock, Harrigan, they're so taken with them, but they're also like, what if I had this my whole life? You know, that probably would have been bad. And, um, and I feel that way as somebody who, you know, spent, at least like a good chunk of my life, not having access to Mm -hmm. the internet and a lot of other things. So I think what it really means for me is that phone, and this kind of ties into probably stuff I've talked about in the pod and stuff that just ties to the way I see the world. Phones make us narcissistic in the ways that a lot of, a lot of things in our modern culture do technology, you know, it just, it, 
it inherently like silos us from the rest mm-hmm. of the world. It, it makes us feel more connected, but we're more distant than ever. And, um, and the thing is, I think phones give us a sense of self-importance because suddenly, and this is, this movie doesn't engage with social media, which I think is smart. Which, I mean, it very predates smart. a lot of, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, well, it predates a lot of social media. So there's that too, it, it, you know, but it's like the thing about, um, the thing about like, uh, okay, let's put it this way. Like the metaphor, right? When somebody's dead, you can't connect with them anymore, right? Like they're gone and you might pray to them. You might speak to them. You might go to their grave and talk to them, but you don't expect anything back. And I think sometimes like we need these places where we can shout into the void and nothing will come back to us because we say things we don't mean and we say things when we're angry and we vent and we yell and that's what God is for a lot of people. And, um, but we don't, I mean, unless you're really hyper Christian, you don't really believe that what you say is going to come back. But the thing about phones is that we don't realize we're talking to people. We don't realize what we're doing is going out into the world, right? Uh, when we fire off a tweet, we don't think about how far it goes. And so when you put these things out into the world, now you're getting an instantaneous response mm-hmm. to the things that you put out in the world. And you start to think that you are resp- – and then that call and response sort of the way that that's you know, inculcated into you is essentially it treat- it makes you feel as if everything you do has weight, right? Yes. Yeah. And so it's like – it Craig becomes obsessed with I think the reason is like Craig becomes obsessed with the death of Kenny because he feels like it was him he that he did it and then later he becomes obsessed with the death of the drunk driver because he thinks he did it but there's a good chance it was just coincidence you know mm-hmm. and like the movie leans into with the soap and everything and the way it ties to the teacher it does that's where the horror kind of stuff comes in but I think it really I, I think a lot about that priest saying, have you, and then the fact that Craig throws his phone in the water. I mean, I think both things can be true at the same time. Like the idea that this is supernatural, but these themes also resonate, which is that when you're young and you, um, like, we have to be careful when we have this connection to the larger world where all we have to do is hit a button and we are communicating with the entire world, like potentially, you know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. that there's a danger in that. And that's, I think what King and Hancock are sort of warning people against with this is that, yeah, your stuff might have consequences, but also you might become obsessed with the idea of, of those consequences. And you might, uh, it might consume you in the sense where that narcissism comes in, where it's like everything is about me and yes. everything radiates from me. Well, and, and, and I and think that's, yeah. that's the whole main character conundrum, right? That we right. have right now in our society, which is what ultimately a lot of the, your favorite movie this year, I feel it gets at, which is, you know, the world's fair and stuff. Where yeah. Yeah. We're all like, in the world's fair. Yeah. You know, we're, you know, and I think that's largely a big issue right now, with, especially with teens and, you know, the youth is just this idea that. Um, and it's certainly something I had. I mean, it's almost because it ties into the Truman Show thing, you know, where which they kind of itched at in the late 90s and certainly seems to be more exacerbated nowadays with social media and exactly what you've just been painting here, Randall, because um, it's, it's a larger issue that I don't know if anyone's really wrestled with the idea that, you know, th- there is an egotism. That comes to it, a narcissism, and I mm-hmm. and, and I, I do like the, uh, the, the I, I like this t- this take, and I like this read, and I think it certainly um, <laughs> it gives a little more depth to this movie that maybe isn't particularly owed to owed it, but well, I do I do appreciate say, it's there, you know. Let me say this: when you have to write like eight hundred words mm-hmm. about a movie like this, you you do have to think about it a little bit harder, and I think that's kind of where a lot of that stuff came from for me. Was I was like, 
how what do I say about this movie? Yeah. Like yeah. and then and I think rewatching it, I did start to mine some of those themes. I don't know how much they were thought out beforehand. I think that with King specifically, I don't think he overthinks this stuff. I think he finds a good metaphor mm-hmm. that speaks to something um that he is, you know, grappling with himself. And then um he's so good at and you know, he said this and we've talked about it on the pod, is that he doesn't let theme guide him. No. He finds no. a story and an idea and then the themes emerge naturally from that. Mm-hmm. And these are themes things that you know dovetail with the way i see the world so i'm pulling all this stuff out of it i don't know how conscious a lot of that was in this hello this is jason co-host of the all 80s movies podcast with a message from factor meals warmer sunnier days are calling fuel up for them with factors no prep no mess meals meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart protein plus and keto Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, the thing with the thing I always say about the old man yell at clouds thoughts is that I don't necessarily disagree all the time. It's mostly just the way it's delivered, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like if you don't acknowledge the fact that you are privy to it, which this film does is in the sense that, as you already outlined with that, Harrigan actually embracing the phone in ways and that we're all part and privy in, you know, to this, these, these quote unquote social sins. Um, I think that, you know, in the long run, in the long line, we could all agree with it. Um, I think most of the time, because Twitter and social media, when these old man yell at clouds thoughts are, are put out there, we have such a knee jerk reaction that we don't get to really kind of sit with it and go, oh, yeah, well, no, that that does have a point. I agree. Um, but what are we going to do about it? I mean, that's what, ultimately what it comes down to is that, like, well, it's already here. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to be. So this is the norm. Jen. Um, what are your thoughts on all this? I mean, wh- what do you make of the, especially the the sort of, um, I don't know, the the commentary on the the technology of it all, especially with phones? Um, I think I agree with, I think everything y'all are saying. I think what I think is interesting about this is how this story is really equating phones with life, you know, because mm-hmm. like when Mr. Harrigan gets this phone, he suddenly has a way to participate in life again, even from so far away. Like he's semi-retired, but he is able to still operate in the business world. So the phone gives him life that he wouldn't have had otherwise. And then what I think the horror of this story comes from is the fear that this ability, like now Craig has the ability to take life with this phone. If you see this as him actually causing these deaths, which I think I do, um, he's got this ability to over other people's lives just with like the tap of a few buttons. And so I think it's just like this awesome power that neither of them really understands what it's doing. And so the horror for me is that Craig, as I read the story, not necessarily as I watch the movie, but as I read the story, I find myself like sensing Craig being afraid that this power is going to consume him, that this power over other people, that this narcissism, like I think he can feel it growing inside him. And I think he doesn't like it. Like at the end, he talks about 
asking people, asking Mr. Harrigan to essentially kill people is hurting Mr. Harrigan. But I think he's really, that's a way of him understanding that it's hurting himself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's all really interesting in the story. I just think that's an internal feeling that I don't think the movie quite captures. So like, if you were going to try to make this scary, like part of me would really love to see like a creepy Donald Sutherland in the background. And, like, <laughs> spooky, well, that's what I was going to say. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But then on the other hand, yeah, it's I, like you think a lot about the other versions of this exactly. movie that could exist, and and that is one version that could exist, and it could be great. You know, right. I don't know though. I mean, the thing is, this is a perfectly competent version. It of is. This story. It is. And it's it, just there. Yeah. But there are so many like what ifs with this one. Like, I certainly don't think that. I think. I think Hancock made the movie he wanted to make. I just yeah. think about what if Sam Raimi made this movie. I don't know. You know. So. But I feel like this is going to sound like like a dig on the movie and I don't mean it to be, but it feels kind of cheap and kind of fast, like getting mm -hmm. out there. And it could just be that we're used to like just seeing these productions stretch to two, three years. And so when a movie actually gets produced, it feels crazy to us, but like there are really no effects in this movie. No, you know? no. And I worry that if they had put some ghosty effects in it it would make it look a lot more cheap than it does you know mm. like well, as of now it can kind of just get by on some nice scenery and music and good acting you know well i'm glad you talked about the fast turnaround jen because that's a good segment to the next topic i want to discuss here which is blumhouse because you know big elephant in the room here um blumhouse and ryan murphy and i, I don't really know if i have much to say about murphy save for the fact that you know, this is a guy that gets the job done. And I think that's pretty <laughs> crucial and perhaps maybe even beneficial to the, you know, quality to consider when it comes to King adaptations, seeing how, you know, most, if not all, spend their time in development hell, uh, as we mm -hmm. outlined back in August in our Halloween King. Um, but I, I think that quality can also be attributed to Blumhouse and Jason Blum. I mean, I think these are these are pretty much Hollywood billionaires who are who clearly subscribe to the uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive motto of uh, quote taking care of business. And <laughs> so I, I guess my big question is, you know, do we like them being involved in King's Dominion? You know, now like because you think about it, Blumhouse, as I mentioned before, was responsible for Firestarter and this, and hell, even the Black Phone, which is you know King adjacent with Joe Hill. I was gonna say, like, have they done a good King adaptation yet? Well, that's the thing. It's like, and I and I feel like they're attached to the boogeyman. I can't remember. I, I'd have to look back. Oh, at I it. think they are. Yeah, because so, I think the host. I think uh, Rob Savage like has a deal with them. He does. Yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, on one end, I'm glad these guys are fast tracking these movies out. You know, it's kind of yeah. cool that we're starting to get this stuff. I mean, especially for us when we need to mix the content. You know, someone's got to make the donuts. <laughs> am I right? Um, so it, you know, in that sense, like, yeah, great, awesome. Here's a week that we can talk about this as opposed to coming up with some, you know, going hit the ideation table. But um, on the other end, it's like what you're saying, Jen. It's like, you know, is the quick 180 good? I, I think for the most part, Blumhouse's track record, I, I think the more cynic could personally, you know, can certainly sit there and go, well, you know, maybe if they thought it out more, they'd, you know, it'd be more successful. But then you look at their successes and the fact that they banged them out very fast. I mean, yeah, I like the model. Impressive. I just, I think, I think the nature of the model though is you're going to get more misses than hits. Oh, hundred percent true for them, but they have such big hits and, and they also, you know, they give, they uh, offer opportunities uh, that are disappearing rapidly in our mm -hmm. studio system. So overall I'm a Blumhouse fan. I just don't like a lot of their movies and I especially don't like 
I mean, I I don't know. Firestarter, I didn't hate. Like, I think that the I think that the vitriolic response to that movie was a little bit overwrought. I agree. It's not. It's still not. Yeah. It's not good. I don't really like remember it. But it's yeah. like, um, you know, it could have been a lot worse. And but you know, you want isn't more that from content King adaptations? Uh, yeah. But isn't that a content across the board now? It's like, yeah. eh, it wasn't awful, but I don't remember it. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like well, that's ninety nine percent of like the Disney like output. It's so there. hard. It's so hard to. I I don't know if I'm getting older, if just you know what it is, but I hear a lot of other people have this similar sentiment, and maybe a lot of it has to do with the idea that we are on our phones all the time and our brains are processing information so much quicker. But it's like. It's so rare that I really remember a movie these days. I know. Like, you know, and and there are some I do, which gives me hope that I'm not just, you know, my brain's not just like falling to pieces. But but uh, but, you know, I I just feel like these things just drift from my mind like lumps of crab, you know, mm-hmm. so. Jen, what do you make of Blumhouse? I mean, you cover horror day to day and in and out from uh, multiple you know, reputable uh, publications. So (laughs) where do you stand on Blumhouse? Are you in or are you out? I'm in. I mean, I still, Firestarter didn't break my heart, but I still find myself wondering what might have been. But I don't know what else I would have wanted from this movie. Like this movie, I'm fine with them pumping it out. Give Keep that model going and make a couple of these that are just kind of slight, just fun. I'll just, I mean, I don't know. Languid, I'll put them on. It's fine. It's not going to change my life. And then take your time with a movie like Firestarter and do the effects <laughs> right and do it well and give me the movie that I want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really have a problem with with the Blumhouse model. And I think it has given me... And I don't have a problem with the smaller horror movies. You know, like, I don't need every movie to change my life. I don't need every movie to... I don't need to remember it at the end of the year, but then, you know, it's not going to make my lists of movies I'll go back to. So I don't know. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I want you know? more movies like these. I want yeah. Them. Oh, I agree. Especially mm-hmm. ones that don't feel the need to like adhere to the algorithm. Like, yeah. everything else does and that's because that's really what kills me when i watch a lot of low budget horror or blumhouse stuff is it just feels algorithmic mm-hmm. um whereas like this doesn't and no. it's just like it's just it feels very not, old school it's like, just it does it really does it's just not exciting and no. a movie can be languid and still be exciting i mean look at like don't look now or something you know it's like yeah uh, but i just get i think that this movie there's not enough there. Well, here's a, here's a question I wanted to pose. So when If It Bleeds came out, I feel like Hollywood just like gutted it in terms of like taking out, like oh, you know, take, taking all of it instantly. So like, you know, you had Ben Stiller doing a rat. Darren Aronofsky was going to produce uh, Life, Life of Chuck. Chuck. Uh, and then what well, we thought, we thought was, If It Bleeds was going to be the second season of The Outsider. But So yeah. where in terms of your priorities or your rankings – Jen, for you, like in out of given those projects and those the, those that are attached to it, including you know Harrigan here, where you know what was your ranking there? Like was Harrigan at the top? Because I I don't think so. I enjoyed no. Harrigan a lot, but again, it's it's like not the most exciting story in that collection yeah. either. Yeah. I think Rat is the one Same. I'm most yeah. curious about, just because that's such a bizarre story, and to have been Stiller attached to it, just like. I want to see what that's going to be. Yeah, I can pretty much tell you what the what the Holly story would be. Um, and Life of Chuck seems like a big risk. Like, yeah, I agree. that's that seems like a 30% chance that it's going to be amazing and 70% chance it's going to be a big old mess, you know? Well, the fact that Aronofsky's would only be producing 
mm. also puts me on pause. But because I, I actually, I, if he was attached to it and directing it, I could see him doing it. You know, yeah. he's certainly, it, it's very similar. Um, I've watched Pablo to, Loren do it. I think that. Was oh yeah, absolutely. But I, you know, I, I say all this just because, you know, I remember when I was still covering the news beat at that at that point, and all these were coming out. Harrigan was at the bottom for me. Like I just mm-hmm. didn't. It, it just didn't interest me. Like because it was so. You know, King has some stories that are so, you know, one and done that, you know, upon reading it, I'm like, oh, okay. There's not really that many ways you could twist this to make it exciting beyond the page. Mm. And to have a literal adaptation here, I mean, I can. it's not surprising to see a lot of our listeners in, in Discord who have already watched it be like, well, if you read it, you know, it's kind of shrug worthy and they're not wrong because, you know, if you read it, you know, everything that's going to happen down to the T yeah. and there, but then again, there's not really that many ways to swerve unless you like really leaned in on this being like a, I don't know, like a, a ghost movie in a way. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think like looking back at this, it, it's just still baffling to me that this is the one that got turned around that fast. Like we're still waiting around for now. I think it was just the right team, right? You know, it was yeah. just Blumhouse, Ryan Murphy, uh, John Lee Hancock. These are all people who produce a lot of content, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. King, obviously. <laughs> but, and especially know. Murphy. I mean, Murphy, you can't, I mean, say what you will about him, but like the guy never fucking stops and neither does Blumhouse. Oh, yeah. So like, that's why I wanted to throw that out there and be like, do we want them more attached to King properties? Because at least we see them, right? You know, I, I mean, for me, it's like, I, I, I'm cool with it. I'm keep going for it. Because I feel like we have hit or miss properties anyway with King. So if they're going to yeah. take them, at least we get them out there. You know, like, I mean, I know like Jane's trying to usher out fucking from a Buick gate, but I think it's because he's independent that it's taken for fucking ever. I mean, I'm sure, mm. sure the pandemic didn't help, but like, I'm sure if, you know, Blumhouse grabbed or snatched the the rights to Blue, from a Buick gate, we'd at least be halfway through the, the production at this point right now, you know? Mm. Um, but for better and or worse, you know. For better or right. worse, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, let's talk about the music because we've we've talked about how we like Navarrete's score. I really thought this was like the stealth MVP of this movie. I think the piano is elegant. I love the scale. I think it does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of keeping the ominous and the tense tension mm-hmm. uh, at even flow, uh, particularly in the second half. Um, what do you all make of the score, real quick? Are you uh, similar thoughts? Yeah, I was a fan of it. I it didn't really stand like I'm trying to remember the theme in my head and I can't, you know? Um, so it just kind of seamlessly blended in, but I did love experiencing this movie, you know? So yeah. Very atmospheric. I mean, I think we should, I think there's more interest in the, uh, the, uh, indie rock of the era yes. that was represented. Uh-huh. Incredible transition, Randall, because I have them all listed here. So <gasps> the, here are all the needle drops in this movie. Um, <laughs> And it's a mix, you know. You have Blessed Assurance by Fanny Cosby and Mrs. J.F. Knapp. You have Veni Vidi Vici, which is performed by the Black Lips. Ja Rule. Uh, Atlas, performed by Battles. Stand By Your Man, performed by Tammy Wynette. 2080, performed by Yesair. Probably Classic. the only hit. Uh, Sailing no, to they Bison. had a couple. They had a couple. That was their big, big, big one, though, if I recall. Sailing to B- uh, Byz- Byzantanium? Byzantanium? Byzantium. That was Liars. Um, Liars. Cure Me by Radiate, Untitled Number Four by Sigur Rós, taking it from Vanilla Sky because I don't know if you've ever seen Vanilla Sky, but that song is the track 
from Secret That's Wars. a bold choice. Yeah. Mm. So um, Bubbly, the, it was a cover of a Kobe Kaye song by uh, Daniel Lewis and Louise Schultz. Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Again, a Cosby and Doan song. Apocalypse Dreams by Tame Impala, who I love to death. Um, Turn My Swag On by Soldier Boy. Tell him. All right. Uh, I'm Your Boogeyman, performed by Casey and the Sunshine Band. White Lightning, performed by George Jones. And Be Thou My Vision by Traditional. Are we missing some... I, I feel like we're missing some big tracks in the late aughts and the early teens. I'm talking like vampy weeks. Like I want some I want some vampire weekend. Like Where's Animal Collective and all where, Yeah, exactly. I was thinking... Yeah, I was like wondering like... It could have been like, you know, 2012 and then like, or 2010 and like my girl starts playing or something like that. <laughs> um, any no, other man, tra- this took me back. Yeah. The yeah. music was wild. Um, but, you know, not intrusive or anything. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird to hear some of this stuff being like period piece esque. Well, yeah. is no movies ever are set in this period. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I think is kind of cool about it. Yeah. yeah, it feels like about 10 years too early for mm-hmm. this time period, you yeah. know, because I remember for, it was the 80s and now we're into nostalgia 90s, you know, and this just is, you know, I don't know. I well, you're ready for 2006 or seven, yeah. Right, well, you, could, yeah, yeah. you could thank Ariana Grande for, you know, bringing all the, the early aughts <laughs> fucking nostalgia because yeah. everyone's really excited for that period, you know. Well, considering 9-11 happened, I wouldn't get too fucking stoked for uh, <laughs> being uh, nostalgic for that era. It, yeah. As someone who lived it was in the front lines. 99 to 2002 sucked, so, you know, either way. Um, Some rough years, yeah. We did get if Final it, Destination, though, so. That's we okay. did get Final Destination a year before 9-11, so that was good. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that the other night when I was watching it. But uh, I love Devin Sawa. What I if Devin too. Sawa was in this? Do you think Devin Sawa would have been good? Ooh, Devin Sawa as, as yeah. Mr. Harrigan? I'd Mr. be Harrigan more interested. Or, or I don't know current, about Mr. Current Harrigan. Day current Sawa day Devin Sawa. Current like day Devin Sawa. Current day Devin Like a 17-year-old <laughs> yeah. or whatever. No, no, no. Yeah. He needs to play Craig's dad. Oh, that <laughs> would be good. That'd be good. Well, let's actually talk about Daddy. Craig's dad in a section we call Heroes and Villains. I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! <laughs> All right, well, we're going to be talking to Jaden later in this episode. Um, he sucks. Yeah, right? He's so fucking, he's awful in this. No, no, no. No. <laughs> I, I think he's really effective as a teen. This yeah. is probably his last time to do that. I feel like he's going to be a little too late to this point. I feel like now he's got to play like college students at this point. Like, I don't know if he can pull off the high school thing anymore. They can is digitally it, de-age him, you know. They could. <laughs> they Well, I have a de-aging question uh, very soon, but um, I, I, I don't know. For me, watching Martell in this, I couldn't help but like get, the sense that he's morphing into Daniel Radcliffe before our eyes. Like he just looks like Daniel Radcliffe. He kind of has the, the vibe of Daniel Radcliffe. Although like weird, like Radcliffe. I know. Yeah. I wish he could. I think he might. I think he might. He's got a pretty eclectic resume. Um, what do we make of his turn here? And is it distinguished enough from his own Bill Dembro? Because I, I saw a lot of Bill Dembro in here too. Yeah. I gotta be honest, Mike, I have nothing to say about any of these characters except for competent. Aside from the bully, I'll be able to talk about him. Oh, okay. yeah. I've got some thoughts about the bully. So you can yeah. skip me for everything. My my answer is competent. Competent, yeah. I thought yeah. he was fine in this. I liked him a lot. I think other than it, the only thing I've seen him in is Knives Out. Um, and oh, I, the, and the I great enjoyed Ryan him. Johnson masterpiece, according <laughs> to Twitter. That's right. Um, <laughs> 
Can't wait um, for glass onions and I for the hyperbole. This course is gonna be so annoying. Oh yeah. I'll probably enjoy it, but man, these people yeah. are annoying. I got I got about <laughs> six bottles of Robitussin to get me through it. So. Uh, <laughs> You mean Moxie? It's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be a great fucking we, uh, uh, fall. Everyone's sitting there being like, you know, Kate Hudson. Uh, that's a mood. Um, <laughs> can't wait. It's gonna be wonderful. Um, uh, anyway, Jen, sorry, I, I didn't. No, know that's okay. No, I thought he was great in this. I think there's not like he's really just kind of playing in every teen, you know. So there's not really a whole lot of like characterization to do. But I think he, he feels like he's just playing a regular kid, and I liked it, you know. I will say, wasn't plugged into this movie until he comes in. I thought the kid in yeah. the beginning, when he's hanging out there, first off, Hancock's direction doesn't really kick in at that point. It's, it feels very like just point and shoot, mm-hmm. which I guess you could make the argument for the most of the movie. But I feel like in that section with the kid, I I, I, I mean, I told Randall, I, I turned it off five minutes in because I was like, what the fuck is this? This is like cheap <laughs> as hell. But mm-hmm. when Martel comes in, I think he exudes as some sort of agency that gives me a little bit more, that gives a little more weight. Um, I just like I just think he's interesting to watch. Like I just think he's a he's a compelling lead um, in that sense. Just he's even just just watching him. So I think that he's a good conduit for the story. I think that it works. Um, but I, I would be lying if I didn't think of like oh, there's a lot of Bill Denbro here. <laughs> Next up, Donald Sutherland, Mr. Harrigan himself. I, I, I mean, he's fine here. He gets like what five minutes. I think instead of talking about his performance here, which we can t- talk a little bit about. Let's list off some of our favorite Donald performances. Uh, I'll, Randall, you mentioned one of my favorites, Don't Look Now. Um, yeah. Incredible and in bo- that. Body Snatchers, obviously. Body Snatchers is wonderful. Uh, what else do you love him in? Buffy the um, Vampire Slayer. I love him in Buffy the Vampire yes. Slayer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great in Buffy. He's got great genes, too. Big fan of the Lost Boys. Mm, and, uh, yeah, was his son. Yeah. Randall's favorite bad boy, Ace Merrill. Flatliners. Mm-hmm. Love Kiefer. Yeah. Did you ever? Did you ever see him in 2004 Salem Salem's Lot? I haven't seen. Oh him yeah. Yet. Is he? Oh, any that's good? right. Who's he? Is he Straker? Uh, or is he Barlow. He is, he's um. He's the Callahan, businessman one. He? No, Callahan is uh the tall guy from. Oh, James um, Cromwell. James oh no, Cromwell. he plays. He yeah. plays Straker. He plays Straker. Sorry, yeah, because Rucker Howard, Howard is Barlow. Barlow. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was good in that too. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. always dependable. That's the thing, and and you yeah. might say, Randall. Starts what? with the C. Oh, he's competent. Yeah, competent. exactly. Exactly. I so liked him when he voiced Doctor Sid in Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. Oh, Ooh, I remember that. Did you, yes, did you love go to that. that did you go to that opening weekend? No, I lived in a small town and we didn't have it available. I, <laughs> I like rented no it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember going to that and being like, uh, "Where, where are the 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 Chocoboos?" Um, but, yeah, um, it was not very good. Not very good. Um, he's in disclosure you want to get fucked you want to get is he really yeah interesting i i love sutherland i'm always you know there are a lot of misses in sutherland's resume but he's never really the miss i always feel like he's reliable he's uh dependable he's uh what's the word again i'm looking for competent competent Competent. you know he's greater than competent in jfk when he plays yeah he has that fucking monologue that steals the show steals Mm. the show i i I sometimes go to youtube and just watch that over and over again it's so good um here's a question though does the movie work if we de-age donald and have him play craig though Good God, why would you ask that? That is a horrible question. 
What if we de-age Kiefer and then Ooh, yeah. <laughs> like a father and son? What if a we father aged and son, up cool. Jaden and had him play Mr. Harrigan and aged down Sutherland? It could be like a cool. Greg. It could be a cool adaptation, you know. It's I, a commentary you know, on technology and its hold over us. I'm know? all I'm all for it, Jen. I think it makes this movie <laughs> that much more interesting. Um, so we talked a little bit about, and you certainly hinted at it, Jen about the idea of um, Sutherland being this more phantom force. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to see that version. I want to see a scene where, you know, our bully Kenny is being stalked throughout his house with like a, a, sort, a sort of like shadowy Sutherland, maybe with like red eyes. I'm thinking Janos from Ghostbusters 2. You yes. Know, fucking eyes and he's leaving Dana's <laughs> uh -huh. apartment. I, I think that, I, I don't know. I just think that's a, a more effective movie, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but it also completely fractures the ambiguity that we were talking about because at that point you're like oh no these are really fucking happening you know yeah um maybe they could I have mean, like a, a cut where you could like switch between them you know uh-huh the monster yeah. cut and the drama cut yeah you know? yeah um any other thoughts on Sutherland? Competent. yeah that was fine competent he was okay. competent <laughs> yeah yeah um so the other the other three are supporting cast uh we'll go real quick kirby howell pa baptiste as mrs hart as Miss Hart, I got to say, I, I don't really feel anything for this death because I just feel like this is kind of another chapter in the story. I, I mean, I know we get that nice moment between Craig and her and in the classroom where they're talking about Emerson, but it just feels so like prescriptive in terms of the emotional, at least the emotionalism of it all. It's just very like, this is how you're supposed to feel like, you know, projecting a lot of the sort of, um, or at least forecasting her death. It just, I just don't feel the weight of it all, but. Jen, you seem like you could be arguing differently. No, I liked her in this. I thought it was fine. I don't necessarily love what they did with the role because I think in the story, he has a crush on her at the beginning he when he's like young and then he pretty quickly moves on. And I feel like the way it was cast in this movie, there was this weird like kind of romantic tension between I got that them vibe and too. Things. And which I was I like, thought I, was weird. I don't like that. And I think partly partly is because when you can't hear his internal monologue, you can't pick up on that relationship that they tried to bring it into the dialogue and it just felt it just didn't quite work, you know. Well, but I thought I, she I was fine in it. I got the director's cut, actually. Oh, yeah? There's, there's Do they fuck in they, it? Yeah. They, there's like, a scene oh, where they, the soap. Ooh. They're like, oh, let's meet up at Castle Rock. I am going to fucking <laughs> smash. Um, no, no, no. It doesn't happen. Thank God. Um, Joe Tippett. Not, no relation to Phil Tippett, I don't believe. But uh, Craig's father... I know him from Mayor of Easttown. Thought he was pretty great. Oh in that. yeah, uh huh. You can tell. To figure out where I where I knew him from. That's. I, I feel like maybe this was filmed. This is probably filmed like in the aftermath. Obviously, it was in the aftermath of Mayor of Easttown, and I'm sure he was just like, "Hey, I did fucking great in that. I'm gonna stretch my role here." And mm -hmm. it just felt like he's trying to do as much as he can with, I don't know, the little slices of life. He was just basically like. Um, he was like the Oracle at home. Like, Oh, well, do you like the cell phone? Oh, I told you, you know, it's like, <laughs> like little asides that he has. I, I mean, he does fine with it, but, um, kind of a thankless role. Nothing really there. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's like an every dad, you know? Yeah. He's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well then let's get to the main event here because we got a bully, which you know what that means. It means power, 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 power. Uh, Randall, where's, where does Cyrus Arnold, uh, rank? Is uh, Kenny Yankovic for you in uh, in terms of the King's Dominion on screen bullies? 
Uh, I mean, definitely not one of the greater bullies because he doesn't really get a chance to do much. I know. Like, he's just kind of an asshole. Yeah. I mean, he beats him up a little bit, I guess. But it's, uh, you know, what I like about their performance is, and I won't go too long. It just, uh, I like the performance of the bully. I think on paper, it's a pretty flat character. But I think this actor actually brings like a weird um, uh, parasitic quality. Like, that's kind of how I just, like, he's less... He feels less malicious than kind of unstable and um, because he gets like really emotional like when like well I can't tell how much of it is an act and how much of it isn't which I kind of like but when he's like why did you have to tell on me why did you have to do that you know like I love that like that kind of like where it's he's an asshole but he's also this like I don't know leech you know it's like draining your emotions and everything and I knew I knew a lot of bullies like that like where like I remember this one bully who would who like was really nasty to me he would always like knock my lunch out of my hands and then um and then one day he like pulled me aside like in the courtyard at school and he's like and he's like uh he's like you know I'm just messing around right you know I'm just messing around I was like (laughs) yeah and I was like yeah and he's like you're not gonna tell on me or anything are you and I was like no no because I thought he would leave me alone and then he started bullying me again the next day but he was like almost like really emotional and weird and like it just reminded me of that so I thought it was effective like he wasn't like Bowers or anything where it's like this is like a sociopath you know he was like this guy who is you know unbalanced and that that person can almost be feel a little bit more dangerous sometimes so so yeah that's my that's my thoughts i i just thought it was a a, a, an actor doing well with a really small part i agree which is a lot of the you know seems to be the case with a lot of uh, the cast here in this movie Mm -hmm. and he's a distinctive look too like he's got you know this big hair he's a big guy like he he didn't look like like you know you think it'd be a jock or something but i mean i'm pretty sure that's how king writes him too but it's um it's 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 nice to see a different kind of bully honestly a realistic bully because uh Mm -hmm. not all bullies are babes as uh they tend to be in our uh you know when you think about ace merrill and um I mean, even like uh, Henry Bowers in the in, in the first it, it, it chapter one, he's a good looking kid. You know, oh, he's 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 he's, he's a little he's a hunk. young hunk in this in yeah. the new one too. This guy he's got, is uh, like he's he, they make him a little dirty, but look at his arms. Like this I know works out. Yeah, seriously, uh, Jen. I shouldn't talk about children. I know. Like I was that. just thinking that. Yeah, this is a problematic uh, episode already, but uh, it's okay. Jen talks about Robbie from uh, Cobra Kai. Oh, Pie, that's uh, true. Hey, he so is over right. eighteen. We yeah. are. Okay. Yeah. Where was he in I've season checked. one? Uh, was he? You know, I'm just joking. I didn't like it. Just until joking. Season three for sure. Um, <laughs> um, I I I don't know. I had a lot of issues with this bully as I was watching it. Um, but I think you're right. I think it is a good performance, and I think he feels really relatable. And the way I kind of feel about this bully is the same way I feel about watching Kathy Bates play Annie Wilkes. Like there mm-hmm. is something in me that really wants to pity her and wants to like empathize with her, and that's terrifying because she is really she's an awful person and she does really terrifying things and i feel like this bully is trying to get me to like sympathize with him because he feels really pathetic in a lot of ways you know yeah that's what i dug about it yeah exactly but it makes me really uncomfortable you know because i because i know that he's gonna die i feel like i almost I don't know. I think it makes it more tragic, too, because he's not just a straight asshole. You know, you really feel like he's got some addiction issues and he's got he's just he needs something that he's not getting. And he's compensating for that with bullying other people. And I feel like I don't know, Craig kind of gets it, but it's just this emotional layer that I don't think I'm quite ready for in this movie, you know, because it's a lot. 
it, it is, yeah. It, it doesn't add well, up a lot, you know? Yeah, I think the way I saw it was, you know, Craig has that scene where he's like, I hadn't thought about him as a real person before, you know? Like, yeah. where he's mm-hmm. like, when he sees his family mourning. And right. I guess that that relates to those themes I was thinking about, about like, you know, Being we, online, we yeah, throw no, things out into the ether without yeah. thinking about who's on the other end. Right. And, you know, like, he wishes that this kid would leave him alone. You know, he, you know, he wishes this kid would be dead. And then he, it's like actually coming to see who it is that's on the other end of your, of your wish, you know? Mm. And that, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a small little moment that I think worked, you know, well enough for me. So. Well, you mentioned pitying him. I certainly pity him because, uh, Cyrus Arnold, you know, his debut was, uh, he was, uh, the baby, in uh, Zo- or he was at least the son. Oh, he was young of Derek Zoolander, and Zoolander yeah. too, and uh, that movie sucks. Oh, wow. um, I never saw that movie. Well, you might want to call. I, I, I pressed to describe Zoolander two. <laughs> I'd call it a nightmare, and certainly <laughs> not a dreamscape. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. All right, speed round here. Our next section, we're going to be talking about uh, what we loved and what we uh, maybe not hated, but maybe one of our grievances. So um, for me, uh, I'll go first. What I loved, I love the commitment to the prose. Uh, This is a page-to-screen adaptation, and, uh, you know, look, sometimes it works like in Pet Cemetery, and uh, sometimes it doesn't. Um, in this case, it's, uh, sometimes it doesn't, you know, as we talked about the coda in Gerald's game, um, don't like that. I think it, you could have avoided that. I think this is kind of the middle ground there where it's like, well, I appreciate the fact that it's a direct translation, but also would appreciate it as were. So that's why I love and also kind of hated, um, you know, so anyway, Randall. Love and hate. What do you? I love the setting. I love that it was shot in Connecticut. I yeah, the yeah. that we saw the mountains, we saw the leaves, we saw the trees. Like it felt very New England, and I like that. What I hated was it's a like. Well, I didn't hate it necessarily. It's it's almost like adorable. Like it's this boomer vision of kids with cell phones. Like the idea that they're all cordoned yeah. off by like the brands <laughs> that they use, like the rich right. kids or whatever have iPhones, and then there's like Androids and everything. It's just a very kind of like kids these days kind of um uh, vision of the whole thing i didn't hate it like it was almost kind of charming the what i did hate though is like when he texted the the girl he has a crush on he's like it's like cool sweater and she's like thanks and like but then they're like standing next to each other and they're still texting that to each other it's like come on come mm-hmm. on it's never kids gotten still, that bad. kids still talk to each other yeah I mean, come on yeah i say that but i you know who the fuck knows these days especially uh you know in the era of covid am i right um <laughs> Yeah, you know, who might as well be texting, right? So, uh, Jen, mm. love. What what is your love and hate? Um, uh, I don't know. I think I one of the things I thought was a nice little touch was when he fell off the roof and he was in the same position as he was when mm. he beat him up. It was a weird position, but I thought that was just an interesting, subtle little touch that this is connected. You know, um, I don't really have anything that I really hated. I guess maybe the weird romantic tension between that I was mentioning earlier between the teacher and him. Um, I did kind of enjoy the dusty Billado story. Cause that's not in, it's only really alluded to in the book. So that was something that I thought was interesting. You know, one of the few deviations from the text. Yeah. 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 Well, I also liked the book quotes from the quotes that he was reading from the other books. Like they shoot horses, don't they? You know? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he certainly didn't uh, do a quote from 
Pet Cemetery uh, because that would be a little <laughs> too confusing considering that we're in King's Dominion. But uh, let's go there nonetheless. Uh, our next section, the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. That was a hell of a pretzel seg. Uh, that's what we call like a pretzel seg, and I don't have enough mustard to cover it up. But uh, here's this uh, section. We, uh, we, we basically talk about what scared us. I got to say, I am stretching here. The only thing I could really say that, that kind of got under my skin is, and I knew it was going to happen early on, was uh, the use of Stand By Your Man. I think that yeah, I think yeah. that that the, I love a good needle drop that way. You know, we talk about the Carpenters with uh, 1408 a couple months ago. I thought this was really good. The minute that they set the the ringtone, you knew that it was going to come back. I thought the scene where uh, Craig is at the grave and you kind of hears it and it's still you could you know you can make the argument that it's in his head still works. My big thing when we whenever we watch these paranormal shows is like, what if that did happen? You know, like, what if you call out and then did respond? You know, multiple times in this movie, he talks about, oh, knock on the wall or, you know, give me a text or yada, yada, yada. But hearing that needle drop when you have it, it, it does kind of confirm that fear that you have. Like, what if it did happen? Yeah. And so for me, that was effective. But um, again, I am stretching. I'm like overstretching. Yeah. My, my my muscle is, is being torn apart right now, stretching for that. Uh, Randall, what scared you? Same moment. I thought yeah. the only moment that I thought was even remotely creepy was when he was standing at the grave and he called the phone and then put his ear to the ground and could hear it distantly through the dirt. That to me is really creepy. I think um, just for the nature of that just makes me think about like so close but so far, right? Mm-hmm. It's like like uh, this person that you knew very intimately is gone forever and they're dead. Mm-hmm but you're at their grave and their body is literally like a few feet from you. And, uh, and when, and the, the ringtone, the fact that he can hear it through all the dirt, it's this, it's the, it's a great manifestation and a great sort of, uh, demonstration. I think of that idea of, um, the, I don't know that like connection between what you can't see. And then like, uh, I don't know you. And, um, and I don't know that that was very, that was very effective to me in that I thought it was a very potent metaphor, but also just creepy. Like if I if I heard that, it would very much freak me out. I'd probably pee my pants, and then I'd be like, "Well, <laughs> I'd probably to go shit home. my pants." I, well, <laughs> both of them would be go home stains. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, Jen. Other than uh, the needle drop and you know, I don't know, spilling fecal matter in your pants. Like what what scared you of this movie? I mean, nothing really. I I do. I will say it is like the rare kind of elevation from the text because it's one thing to read about Stand By Your Man and another thing to hear it. It's just the perfect song for that. The moment that scared me with that is when he finds the body and he kind of leans over and it starts playing. And it's just kind of a cheap jump scare, but it just, I feel like, heightens the tension of that moment of finding a dead body. And, you know, you're a kid and you're like, well, I don't know what to do with this, you know. Yeah. But yeah, other than like, it's it's just not really a scary movie, you know? I know. I know. Well, I'm hearing another ringing and it's not the bells. It's the twinkle. It's the twinkle that calls us to King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. 
Okay, well, in King's Dominion, we talk about the other connections to King's work. <sighs> not a much. There's not much here. I mean, the town is Har- the Harlow. It's yeah. been featured in multiple, you know, stories in King's Dominion. Um, I thought that the fact that Harrigan loves country western, which is basically from the source material anyway, that's he, that screams King. We know that King yeah. loves country western. Um, anything else? Do you see like Jack Torrance in the background or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, other than thematic, like I feel like because we just talked about fairy tale, like it just feels like the, yeah, the, that's all the I prototype for fairy tale, which also kind of, it's got like elements of Christine too, because I feel like all three yeah. of those kind of feel connected, you know? What, what would you be opposed if like Craig had a it chapter one poster on the wall? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like even chapter photoshopped two. somebody else in there. Yeah, like yeah, remember, they put they put like a different face on. Bill yeah, like <laughs> it's like uh, I don't know, like, it's like Shia LaBeouf from Holes. No, no, it'd be like Will from Stranger <laughs> Things or something. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> well, like you know, because you know, remember the character posters for it chapter two that had like the adult and then the kid. Yeah, you, know, you had the the one there, and it's just like you know, anyway. <laughs> Good what bit. if they could just digitally de-age Kiefer Sutherland? I mean, Donald Sutherland to play him in the It Chapter One poster. <laughs> oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it just would have been a, a fun, cheeky nod. I'm sure Jaden Martell <laughs> would have been like, "Let's get this, let's cut the shit out. Like, you know, take right. this fucking off the wall." Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. it, it really is. It's a bummer that we didn't get the uh, Cujo didn't pop up, and yeah, I would have uh, loved Cujo in this. You know, would have been. What if cool. he like looked at his phone and he was like, "Show me," and that's what ended up killing everyone. <laughs> Like you just yeah. the face activation. Or like Comfior, like uh, you know, <laughs> showed up in this or is that Linoche comes back. Linoche yeah. comes yeah. back, you know. Kill the bullies there. and I'll go away. <laughs> I'm trying to think like the most natural King's Dominion could have had here. I mean, really, you'd have to go back to like the Harlow stuff. I, I wonder you know, the 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 town of Kutramont's in the beginning, is that from King's you know, are are those from other stories? I, I just I I don't know. I I'm not familiar with enough with the Harlow, I guess. I know um, he's mentioned Harlow. Harlow is part of the the world, you know. Yeah. But if it's I'm, like the rebuilt school that Carrie burned down. Oh, that could have been cool. Or like Miss Desjardins like has come back to teaching or something. <laughs> or like what if it was like, you know, one of them mentioned like, hey, uh, a lot of weird things happen around here. Did you hear about <laughs> that fucking dome that fell on <laughs> Chester's Mills? You know? Um yeah, what if that causes the car wreck? He just like slams into the dome. Yeah. Still. yeah. Oh my god. Just yeah. ridiculous. I want you to kill this dome. Maybe that's what happens at the <laughs> yeah, end that's of the how dome. It ends, we don't know. You know? Ends, yeah. Like, hey, I got that's no cell really phone reception under this dome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Uh I guess it's time to give our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. Said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Randall, kick it off. Competent, two point five. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh wow. That's it. Wow. Well, you could read. Where, where can they read your full review, though? Uh, it's on Fox. Uh, uh, like basically Fox. Like not. I don't know. Like it's like a Fox affiliate. Like it's okay. all the local stations. My friend is an editor there, so she Actually, asked me if I wanted to do it. So former Losers Club member, right? Yeah, Elson Shoemaker. So. Yeah, oh. how about that? Uh, LC Dominion. <laughs> so yeah, just there. if you Google, I, I assume if you Google Mister Harrigan's phone and my name or, or Fox, you'll find my review. I think it's a pretty good review. So I'll I'll link it in the in. The, I guess in the blurb that we have. I, I don't know. It's hard to do because if you're on Apple Podcasts, they don't allow links. Yeah, I think I, I think Steve. I, I think I uh, succinctly say what I said in long rambling sentences on this podcast. Well, hey, there you go, Jen. 
What about you? Um, I'm gonna give it a three. I think I like. I enjoyed it. I like. It, it, like I think about this like Teen Wolf. Like it's just this perfect fall ambiance movie for me. Teen Wolf. Just, Teen Wolf. Yes. Of I all the it. comparisons, I would not have picked Teen Wolf. <laughs> just but because I, of I, the the fall feeling, you know, <laughs> not because of the werewolves and the basketball. There's, you know, Michael J. Fox would have been good in this when he was younger. Oh yeah, that would have been fun. That would have given your- us a little flair. Who's but. your favorite Teen Wolf though? Is it um is it is it Michael J. Fox? Is it Jason Bateman? Um or who's uh, is it uh, the hot guy, Hillary the guy Swank, from Curb right? Enthusiasm, <laughs> Hillary Swank? <laughs> Sorry, that was the Teen Wolf. The next. Oh generation. yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, but are you asking me who is my favorite Teen Wolf as the Teen Wolf, or who is my favorite Teen Wolf continuing in his career? Because I think my favorite Teen Wolf as Teen Wolf is Michael J. Fox, but I prefer Jason Bateman. Mm. Oh, interesting! Is wow, for longevity, you know. So yeah. Well, I uh, I, I guess I'd echo those thoughts. Um, but anyway, so w- w- what was what was your clouds? Cl- uh, oh yeah, keep yeah. going. My I'm cloud sorry. Wrote, sorry, no, no, no. I mean, it's hard not to talk about Teen Wolf, you know. Um, I at three, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm gonna probably put it back on, but I'm probably not gonna remember too much about it and not pay attention to it. But it's a great fall background movie for me. Do you like this movie uh, more or less than um, other, here? Here, well, I'll do the Netflix run for you. We already know that you love Gerald's Game more than this. I would be surprised oh, yeah. if you're like, oh, I'm actually Harrigan's. <laughs> right, Gerald's right. Game. This is now my favorite adaptation. No, yeah. Is this better or worse than In the Tall Grass? Oh, better. I agree. No baby um, eating in this one. So what about you, Randall? Did you, you haven't seen it. Never saw tall yeah. grass. All right. No. Well, no comment. Well, they eat a baby. <laughs> that I said. I said, don't let that dog go in the grass. And the dog went in the grass. And so he I'm went. Not watching woof it. woof. Right. Bye bye. Um, nineteen twenty-two. Better or worse? Worse. Yeah, but more. Yeah, but more enjoyable. I think. Oh, that's true. That's true. Oh, yeah, nineteen twenty-two is a pretty miserable movie. Yeah, it, it is, is a, a dark watch, movie. but I think it is a better movie. It is yeah. a better movie. You you. you, you probably be more likely to rewatch this than the 1920s. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. I I don't know if I can go there cuz I, I love my boy Thomas Jane even when well, he's yeah. a homicidal killer. Um I guess he's not homicidal. He just kills his wife. That's not Yeah, that's not homicidal. He's just yeah, not a, a serial killer. He's singularly. He's not like yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer also on Netflix. Hom- that's right. Um, <laughs> also Ryan Murphy. What if Evan Peters was in this movie? You think that we'd like this movie Ooh, more? Ooh, it's no? the bully. Yeah. As the bully, yeah. He's, he's or yeah, as Dahmer. As, as Jeffrey Dahmer. As Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> like he dies but then he comes back. Then Mr. Harrigan is now the hero of the story, uh, you know. The Murphy's Dominion. Um <laughs> all right, I'll give my thoughts. I think like you're saying, competent. This is completely serviceable. I, I think that's the best way to describe this movie. Yeah. And honestly, that's kind of how you could pretty much argue for any one of uh Hancock's works. Um I, I kind of do appreciate though how it doesn't get too treacly as his past work does. Like, I mean, this yeah. movie really could have gotten like too saccharine or too sentimental. And I, I think that he um, staves off um, the, uh, I don't know, doing that. I mean, he doesn't really go that far into it, which is great. I think that uh, constant readers can you know, appreciate the commitment to the prose as I've hammered all throughout this episode. But as I've also seen and said on this episode, um, most of them are already shrugging and saying, what's the fucking point? So <laughs> for me, um, you know, if you read the story, sure. You want to see it come to life. Awesome. Here it is. Uh, if you haven't, Hey, maybe it's a fun watch for you in the afternoon, uh, a spooky watch, uh, for a spooky time, like October. Um, that's about it for me. I, I, I do think it is kind of baffling. As I said earlier, that this is, uh, this is the one that we got the quick turnaround to no Duma key, 
no revival, no Buickgate. But hey, Harrigan, the movie nobody was waiting for, which is, uh, I don't know, there's something sad about that. But um, as another Netflix joint said in 2019, it's what it is. So uh, <laughs> for me, two and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses with uh, maybe a little book from uh, Harrigan's own private library uh, for added measure, the effort. Um, anyway, I think that's what? 2.75? 2.75, I think. Not, Maybe 2.6. That's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's good service. It's competent. You know? Yeah, competent. Well, I'm going to competently put the final nail in this coffin. Um, before we go, though, let's do some plugs. Jen, what do you have going on down at Psychoanalysis in October? Well, our October theme is Childhood Fears, and we are talking about It, Chapter 1, and It, Chapter 2. Speaking oh, starring Jada Martell. Jada Martell, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's been really fun. And then we just, uh, I'm bummed I had to miss this one because we were in Maine, but Kyle, uh, our fearless, I know. Oh, yeah. it was the worst, I know. But I did miss recording with Kyle, the Losers Club editor, on our episode with um, for Shaun of the Dead. But our Halloween episode is going to be with John from uh, Creepy, and we're going to talk about Hell House. Oh, LLC. really? Are you? Yeah. Uh, John Grills? Mm-hmm. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I know. Wow. I'm really excited and I That's love amazing. that movie. So, very, very cool. Randall, what books or book should our listeners be reading right now? We're in the Dark Tower, uh, final stages. Uh, so, Wolves of the Callas, October. Song of Susanna, November. Dark Tower, uh, December. And then. Uh, otherwise, this month, we've got a fun interview with Chapo Trap House's Matt Christman about The Dark Tower. He is He's a big fan, and he has a lot of thoughts. It's a great interview. And then uh, we're doing a Lobstrosities on Children of the Corn 4. I don't remember the subtitle. Which What is it? I don't remember either, but I know it's Naomi the final Watts sacrifice? is in it. It's been oh, really? a few. Yeah. It's been a couple. I feel like it's been like a couple years since we did Urban it's been, Harvest. I think it's been three years. Since wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're back in Cornland for in Lobstrosity. So that'll be really fun. And then, um, and then, what's the other one we're doing, Mike? Oh God, The uh, Simpsons. The Simpsons. Simpsons. Oh yeah, the Simpsons. the Simpsons. We, that wasn't even on the calendar, but we because you know initially, you know how everything is nowadays. They're all so fucking mysterious with their release <laughs> dates. You can't just release them on the normal time. We didn't find out until this week. I thought it was October 30th that The Simpsons was going to do their uh, Pennywise parody. But uh, no, it's going to be October 23rd, which means that, guess what? You get a bonus. Sound like Jaden Martell's Bill Denver over here. You get a bonus episode this month. And so that'll be fun. We're going to talk all about Stephen King in Springfield, a.k.a. The Simpsons. So that'll be a good one. And uh, I'm trying to rack my brain. What else? We, we got a, uh, yeah. And then Wolves of the Cow is going to be the, the the book episode at the end of the month. It's going to be a Halloween weekend extravaganza. And there's more. We're just forgetting. Yeah, so, we're, just forgetting. Yeah. we're fucking tired. We just came back from Maine. <laughs> we just got back from we're Maine. talking about this movie. We're sleepy. But uh, yeah. don't you be sleepy. Because as I mentioned earlier, we've got a 20-minute chat with Jaden Martell. He's going to share his thoughts on King. He's going to share his thoughts on uh, technology. And he, we even detour into music a little bit. Um, so stick around, listen to that, and we'll see you next week over long days. And, and pleasant, pleasant nights. Hi, this is uh, Mike Rothman from the Losers Club. Thank you so much for doing this. How's it going? You know, I've just been counting, and this is your third Stephen King movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's I'm alone in noticing a trend. Is this pure happenstance, or are you chasing the the King adaptations? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, he's chasing me. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's totally coincidence. I um, now I'm a obviously a huge huge fan of his, but I think I'm just very lucky that it turns out that I'm I'm a part of the stories that he writes. Well, what's your relationship to his work? I mean, especially growing up, were you a constant reader? You know, um, you know, in your teens, uh, you know, how familiar were you before even getting into like it chapter one? Not very familiar. I mean, I grew up watching the adaptations of his of his work, but never really read. I mean, I I I did it when I was thirteen, so like I, I can't wasn't really reading The Shining at twelve. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it's but, a hard tough one. Yeah. <laughs> but now I I mean I have a, a great res- respect for the work that he does. Well, like, you know, in, in both stories that you're working with in here, you know, be it Ed or Mr. Harrigan's phone, you're dealing with his, the way that he sees youth, right? Like the way that he portrays youth and stories. And what do you think are some strengths of, uh, you know, his storytelling when it comes to capturing youth, you know, having been two of his big characters, I mean, Bill Denbro being one of the biggest characters he's had in, in that capacity, but then, you know, also, Mr. Harrigan's phone, there's, you know, he's tapping even into some more modern youth. Like, yeah. what are some qualities that you feel he really captures well on the page? Well, I think he he creates this um, a feeling of nostalgia, despite, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the 80s. I didn't, I wasn't, I was a little bit around for this, the era that this, that Mr. Harrigan takes place in, but I wasn't that age. But still, when I read his work, I feel attached to it. It feels, it always feels very personal. And he's not, I th- he's not afraid to relate it to himself. I think people write what they know and, mm-hmm. and he does that. I mean, he comes up with these brilliant ideas and, and, and somehow creates these universes that I can't even imagine creating. But beyond that, he makes very human stories and I feel like anyone can relate to his work. That Absolutely. Despite, despite these characters, these kids are being chased by a murderous clown, <laughs> but you still relate to them because yeah. they are first and foremost, the losers, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, I don't know how he does it, but it's amazing. Well, this is a very new King story. I mean, this is one of the fastest adaptations I think I've seen in a long time. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like I just had read it and it's, you know, it's already here. What was your hook for you? What was the hook for this story for you? Um, you know, was it the conceit? Was it just being back in King's Dominion? What, what, was, what was really what pulled you into this? I think it was, I think it was the character, first and foremost, Craig being a very uh, imperfect protagonist. He he makes a lot of mistakes throughout the, the story and, and learns from them and grows from them. But there is a lot of, it's a fairly simple story. Mm-hmm. The novella is only 90 pages, but there's a lot of n- nuance in it. It's There's no good guy or bad guy. Craig is his own enemy. And I also like that there was there was a message to it and there was a point to talking about technology in the film. Well, when you're talking about the technology and it's so, you know, it's, it's very strange to watch a movie 
that's capturing what still seems like a new era, you know, like it's still, I mean, then granted the iPhone is now an appendage of everyone and the movie pretty much suggests that, that that's where the future is going to be. But it is, it is interesting to see an era that feels so recent being captured, but you know, what are your own feelings on, on the way that we've become um, sort of enveloped by technology? And um, is that something that you you also have been enveloped by or do you try to stay off of a little bit or you know what are just you know the relationship to technology in general i mean of course of course i'm i'm attached to my phone as everyone is yeah i i don't have a a serious connection to social media i'm not too attached to it but i do find myself scrolling without even thinking about it yeah but it was fun to it was interesting to revisit that era where it was you're sort of on the precipice of it becoming um just another part of life you know i i try to go back to that as much as i can i try to not be so attached to that thing and be, yeah. but you know it's it's tough it's tough and um no i think the story gets it right even in the end the the the, the main protagonist he can't even can't even throw the fuck like he can't yeah. even get rid of the technology like yes he sees the danger but he he he's not this perfect person and none of us are we're all we're all attached to it you know oh yeah i mean it's impossible I, it's just it it's i mean i was i was born in 84 and so mm-hmm. i you know by i got to see kind of like the formation of the, the internet with like and i think by 97 i was like what is this and then um you know when when playing you know going back to it for a second you know and being a kid it's in the 80s even on set were were you all kind of like man this would have been fun <laughs> like yeah, you know if totally, totally. Yeah. but i think what's also nice about um my personal experience with with working on set is that i am i don't look at my phone ever I, like yeah. um, even us even all the kids on on set and working with Donald as well. What am, I'm not gonna go on my phone between takes. Like, you know, you, you're always trying to be present. Um, and I love that. I, yeah. I love that. And no, but it was fun to go back to that. I mean, I've yeah, I've tried. It's fun to have tangible things. The romance of like of finding your friends without texting them or calling them and like I'm trying to take notes on a notepad rather than being attached to the, to my phone. Yeah. Um, you know, you try to be human and it feels archaic, but it's something, there's something personal about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, even down to the, like remembering fo- like phone numbers, I was, yeah, it was something that happened a few weeks ago, and my girlfriend was like just rattling out my number, and I was like, "Oh my god, I couldn't, I couldn't list your number. I'm a bad boyfriend. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, we just don't have that anymore. We just, it's all reliable on just what's in our phone at this point. Yeah, it affects your memories as well. Like just how we take pictures now. You can take a picture every day, and you have thousands of pictures on your phone, but you look at these printed. I look at pictures of my grandparents and like they have so much power and they're so beautiful because it's a singular item and like this is encapsulates that whole era and and there's more weight to it but now 
I mean, who knows if we're going to look back. I mean, you could scroll through your photo albums, but it's all becomes data. It all becomes yeah. less impactful. And and it's okay to forget things now. I have a terrible memory, but but I can look back at what I did. I, I can tell you what I did every day in the last month because I can because I can look back on my photos, but I couldn't tell you right now. And that's kind of a shame. That's a, that's a good point. I, I have not, I haven't thought about that. And it's probably because of that exact point. <laughs> it's because I haven't had to, you know, <laughs> it's like this weird catch 22. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a troubling thought. And I, I do think back to like, um, just the, it kind of makes time feel so it just kind of flattens time a little bit, you know, like I, this, the, even the way that like, if you scroll too fast, it'll be like, wait, which Halloween is this? Is this 2021 or 2020? Like they're all kind of blending together now at this point. Yeah. Um, and I you scroll through Instagram for like an hour and I, I don't I can't tell you one thing that I learned or saw on the like yeah it's just an endorphin rush at this point right. um, I will say the one thing it's good for is just music because I I love music yeah. I love being able to be able to search for music as much as I can Spotify is the greatest thing in the world it's unreal okay. <laughs> It's like to be out there and be like, God, this day kind of sucks. I kind of want to listen to like, I don't know, uh, something really depressing or, Hey, I'm having a great day. I can put whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, Harrigan's phone gets to that moment where that was all kind of possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, what I love about the film is there are a lot of fun needle drops from the, from that era too. And I was wondering, you know, were these some of the jams that you were growing up with? Uh, were any of these, like, what were songs, what were some of the first songs that you put on your phone, um, when you got it growing up? That's a good question. Well, that's funny. There are a lot of good. John picked some great songs to me in this movie, but um, like there's a cigarette song which I love. Um, I love that song. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> no, but I remember, yeah, first getting an iPod, and like having my mom's music on it and my mom's taste, and then and then sort of evolving. I remember the the first genre that was like my own was like '90s hip hop. Um, and nice. discovering like Tribe Called Quest. And so that was like my first, my first venture into music as my own human being, other than what my parents or what older people had, had taught me about. What are you listening to these days? These days, um, I'm all over the place. Uh, the new S Steve Lacey album is amazing. Um, nice. him, this guy, Alex G. Oh yeah. Uh, like Alex. Oh yeah. yeah, great stuff. Yeah. 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 Um and then um I'm into I'll, I I've been into the cure and like Joy Division lately. Um Joy Division's uh, fantastic. I have I have a tattoo from the Factory Records from for Joy Division. I'm just oh. so obsessed with them. Although, it's probably not healthy to be that obsessed with Joy Division, <laughs> but I you know incredible yeah. music yeah <laughs> have you been going to concerts again because i know that I, I i ask all this because you were also in meadow lords and i wanted to get some insights into that perspective too because i know that um you got to you know you got to play with glenn sobel a little yeah. bit behind the scenes for drumming and um kind of want to know what that experience is like and how much that mirrors your real life and in, in terms of interest in music um i'm i've always been obsessed with music and have never been able to play it. Like I can't, my brain is not, I'm not musically inclined. Um, but when you're in like a boot camp with someone like Glenn Swimble, you can't help but like, but, but learn. I mean, I only, when you're doing a movie, you have to learn three or four songs. Yeah. Like the back of your hand. And then now I don't remember any of those songs. 
I remember the basics of drumming, but I can't, <laughs> can't like pick it up. It's funny. Um, it's hard. I'm hard. Drumming is so hard. I, 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 as growing up, I wanted to play it so bad. And then I think my parents were like, no, please, God, don't get a drum set. And then I tried and it's like, I can't do this. I, I could do maybe this part, but then you have to do the foot. And it's like, no, there's no way this is happening. <laughs> it's a very physical thing. And I'm playing guitar now and it's, I, I don't understand it. My fingers hurt. I'm like, I'm, I, I can't do this. It's too much coordination, but I haven't been going to enough shows. I miss, I miss live music. Do you ever go to fests? Like, did you ever get to go to any of the music fests that are out there? Um, I went to GovBall recently in New York. Oh, nice. A friend of mine was playing and I got to see some cool artists. That was a lot of fun. Uh, post COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know, um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about just horror in general, just cause it's, you know, we're entering a spooky season. Yeah. It's a horror movie. Just got to ask, you know, because you're such a big part of this genre now, I mean, especially you're in The Lodge and I swear to God, that movie is incredible and I love it. And I just so dark. That performance <laughs> is so dark. I remember turning to my girlfriend and just being like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite uh, memories yourself of, you know, growing up with horror? And there, are there any like, is there like one film or even a book that kind of had a huge effect on you? Um. It's funny because I've never been that attached to horror. Like, I remember The Conjuring being one of my favorites growing up. Um, and then eventually, like, Hereditary. I like the weirder, more totally. psychological films. But still, I'm, I'm just a little... I'm, if, I, if I watch a film, it's late at night, I'm probably not going to pick a horror film. I need yeah. to be forced needs to be forced upon me. Um, so more fun to be in them than to watch them. More fun to be in them because they're not not really that scary when you're on set. Yeah, that's that John Carpenter has a quote that's like it's a it, it's a blast or something like that. I'm gonna totally botch this quote. But it's like it's a blast to make a horror film. It's a nightmare to make a comedy or something like that. Just, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. But uh, along those lines, though, I, I, one last question. You know, this movie is a lot about what you learn and take from your elders and you've worked with just so many iconic Hollywood veterans I mean, Bill Murray, Donald Sutherland here, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, even Christopher Lloyd. Um, what do you feel you you've learned the most from them? You know, is there one figure that you maybe kind of connected with really, you know, more than the other that you kind of really took away something from, from working alongside that person? Yeah, it is incredible to work with these types of actors. And the common theme is that they are very blunt. They're very them. Um, and I think that's a, a beautiful thing. I mean, you get to a certain age and you've been doing it so long that it's like you, you don't have to impress anyone anymore. Um, but honestly, Donald was one of the most, the ge most generous people I've ever worked with. He has so much advice to give and for, fortunately he took his time out to to offer me some of that advice yeah donald was was very kind and also all of these people are are, are still doing it and still very passionate about it and like i i'm i'm young so of course i have the the energy and and, and it's my life and my love and my passion and, and then to see them and there's they're they're 
obviously been doing this for so long, but they're still so they're, it's their lives as well. Like that's, that's who, that's how, that's who makes it out, out the other end, you know, the people who yeah. are, they're, they're, you know, passionate about it. Well, you, you're, you've been clearly learning, uh, from them because you're killing it. And, uh, one of these days you'll be the veteran that's when you're looking and <laughs> helping out another future Jaden. So, uh, <laughs> you know, congrats on everything. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and, um, hopefully speak down on the road. Thank you so much. Have a good, good one. This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>